Open your Bibles to Genesis, the first book of the Bible, Genesis 32. And I've entitled this teaching this morning, Walking with a Limp, which may be a little bit of a strange title for a, a, a teaching. But I'm basing it upon something that we're about to read in Genesis 32. And before we get there and before we read that, I just want to give you a little bit of preliminary information uh, to set up where we're going with this. So um, the, for the last several weeks, let me first of all say that there seems to be a, a theme woven in many of the teachings from Brent's teaching last week to a couple of the teachings that I've done going all the way back to Eric Burton's teaching when he was here. And that theme seems to be going after God with all of our hearts, with everything that you got. That seems to be the, the theme that's kind of woven in all these teachings for the last several weeks. And, you know, I would also like to say on that note that I just personally believe that God wants us to, at some point, to get out of the kiddie pool and go out into the deep waters where the current is strong. Because it's only there that we'll experience the awesomeness of God and, and how he can be awesome in our lives in particular. As we prepare to read this master text here in Genesis 32, let me give you a little bit of a backdrop so that you're kind of caught up to this passage in Genesis 32. We're about to read about Jacob. Now, Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. He's the son of Isaac. And... Uh, the nature of Jacob, I think, is pertinent here to talk about before we, we read this. And that's that Jacob operated fairly independent of God for most of his life. Um, if Jacob had a life philosophy, I think it would be this. If it is to be, it's up to me. If it is to be, it's up to me, I think is how he probably lived his life. Uh, and maybe it was his life philosophy. That certainly is the way he lived it. And I think that's the way that a lot of people live our lives. If it's to be, it's up to me. And we live our lives fairly independent of God for the most part. But I think it's a mistake to believe that we are masters of our own fate and captains of our own ship, as Jacob seemed to believe. And that philosophy, by the way, I'm the master of my own fate and the captain of my own ship, seemed to work for Jacob for a while. Yeah? See, he had spent his life deceiving his way through various situations when he thought it might help him. Does that sound familiar? You don't have to, like, raise your hand or anything. No, just, just, just nod and say, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, just say amen. Maybe some of, you, of us have done that. Yeah, he had spent his life deceiving his way through various situations when he thought it might help him. But now, here in Genesis 32, he faces a situation that he can't lie his way out of this time. You see, earlier in his life, he had deceived his older brother Esau out of his birthright. And it was then that Esau vowed to kill Jacob. Now, Esau was a rugged man of the outdoors, a skilled hunter, and Jacob feared him. But he was able to escape Esau's murderous intentions against him and leave that region. So their lives went, went separate directions for many, many years. And they began to have families and what have you, and they didn't see each other. They lived in very different parts of that region, and, and so their lives didn't cross paths until this chapter right here. 
And as fate would have it, as Jacob and his family were now moving and, and uh, they're making a journey to set up their, their new life in a different region with their family and their clan, as fate would have it, he's about to cross paths with Esau once again. Esau and his 400 armed men. And Jacob is in all-out panic mode. So let's pick up the story there in Genesis 32, starting in verse 22. Let's stand and honor the reading of the word. Verse 22. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now that man was an angel of the Lord. I'll talk more about that in a moment. Uh, and it, it shows that very clearly here in a, in a moment. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. Verse 24. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled the man. Then the man said... Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. The man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And all God's people say, Amen. Praise God. Go ahead and have a seat if you would. All right. Well, that's an interesting passage. Now, don't ask me to explain how he was wrestling with an angel or the implications of that. I can't really explain exactly how or why he would have been wrestling with an angel, why God confronted him like that, that he was wrestling with the angel of God. All we know is that this happened and it was a life-changing event in uh, Jacob's life. Now, I think that's pretty obvious. I mean, I think wouldn't your life be changed if you wrestled with an angel all night till daybreak? Yeah. But why was Jacob wrestling with the angel? I mean, he was wanting something from him. And by implication of that reading, we can see that an an angel had presented himself before Jacob. And and this sort of had been done earlier in Jacob's life when he saw the, the ladder leading to heaven, if you remember that story in Jacob's life. But this happened again where God presented himself before Jacob in the form of an angel. And Jacob wanted a blessing. And the angel was about to depart. He would not let him leave. And there was something about how the angel presented himself in physical form. That there was an actual physical altercation between them. Which I think is very interesting and I can't explain why or how God did that. But it was a life changing point in in Jacob's life. So, as I said, um, this was a situation that Jacob was not able to finagle his way out of when it came to his coming confrontation with uh, Esau. So, again, we find in verse 6, and the, 
And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. This is earlier in the chapter um, that I'm reading out of right now. This was not part of our master text. This is kind of set up our master text. So again, verse 6. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He was afraid of Esau. So, as I said, this was a situation that Jacob wasn't able to finagle his way out of this time. Finally, he was faced with what he perceived to be an impossible situation. And it was there that he finally sought God deeply for the first time in his life. And that's where the story, I think, can hit home for all of us. Because, folks, sooner or later, you and I will have to be forced to confront our limitations. Because at some point, there's going to be something outside of your control that must change. I'm going to say that again. At some point, you're going to be confronted with a situation that must change, but it's outside of your control to make it change. And that's where, like Jacob, we'll be forced to seek God in a way like we've never sought him before. So what situations might fall under that category of something that just has to change, but you don't have the ability to change it yourself. Well, it could be your own character. You could be struggling against sin habits and things of that nature that you just can't seem to get past by yourself. You've tried and you've tried and you just can't seem to get past it by yourself. It could be a situation like that. It could be in your kids' own sin nature. And as I said last week, sooner or later, you're going to be confronted with the fact that your kids were born with a sin nature. And we know, I know that we all like to think of our kids as perfect little angels all the time. They're not. They have a sin nature. And sooner or later, they're going to be confronted with the, the fact that they have a sin nature, and they're going to have to decide what they do with that, what they do with Jesus. Maybe it's a problem with your kids, that's just got to change, but you don't have the ability to change it. Maybe it's your spouse's hardened heart. Maybe it's a situation in your health or your finances. And that's the kind of situation that Jacob was in, where he had come to this place where his back was against the wall, and he had no recourse except to call on God. Isn't that just like human nature sometimes? We'll try everything that there is to try, to try to finagle out of a situation ourselves, and then when we, we have nothing left, no more recourse left, then we call on God. Why don't we call on God first? Yeah? So here's where we see a different side of Jacob that I think that we can learn from as well. I want to say this about the nature of Jacob in this particular situation, and I think that we can apply this to our own lives. And that's that there's something about tenacity that God likes. Remember in verse 26 of that master text, it says that Jacob told the angel, I will not let you go until you bless me. And he wrestled with him all night until daybreak. And there was something about that tenacity that God likes. Tenacity, then, is the quality of being very determined. It's determination. That's what tenacity is. It's also defined as the quality of continuing to exist or persistence. 
And I like this third definition. It's the quality of being able to grip something firmly and by connotation or implication to grip it firmly for a really long time and not being willing to let go. That's tenacity. And that's the quality that we see here with Jacob that I believe that God liked because he blessed it, didn't he? And I believe that that's uh, something that we can learn from Jacob as well, that we need to have some tenacity in our own spiritual lives, ladies and gentlemen. So I want to ask a question this morning, because we're a faith church and we grapple with these issues of faith. and, And I just want to ask this question, is wrestling with God like Jacob did, is that a sign of spiritual weakness or a lack of faith? See, because sometimes, sometimes our prayer lives, folks, can look like this picture right here, where it's just a nice, sweet time with God. We've got our hands clasped together. We're smiling, and we've got maybe some goosebumps, and everything feels so wonderful. It's a nice, quiet, reverent time before God. Sometimes prayer does legitimately look like that. But sometimes prayer looks like this. Where you're down on your knees, your hands and knees, crying out to God. There's tears flowing. There's snot coming out of your nose. You're you're blubbering before God. You may be even screaming before God. If you've not heard that testimony that Pam Hall gave here several weeks ago, uh, one of the most listened to messages that we have on our website, by the way, Go listen to that and pull that up. Her testimony was exactly that. She faced some situations in her life where she said her carpet was wet with her tears. And sometimes that's what prayer looks like. So is praying like that on the right, is that a a sign of weakness or a, a lack of faith? Well, I will submit to you that it is a sign of weakness in that you are acknowledging, God, I have no way out of this except for you. I am weak and helpless, and I have no way out of this except for you, Lord. You're my only recourse. So it is acknowledging your own weakness in, in that regard, but is it a lack of faith? I'm going to give you the lyrics to a song here in just a moment by Amy Grant. She's got a a really interesting song called Better Than a Hallelujah. And I'm going to let you see the lyrics here in a moment. But before I pull those up on the screen, uh, I think that one of the potential downfalls of a, quote, word of faith or faith church like this is that sometimes in our times of distress and frustration and turmoil, we feel like we can't be honest with people. We can't be honest with ourselves. And we can't be honest with God. Because we have to keep a stiff upper lip and never cry out to God in desperation. And yes, I agree that we do need to to develop our walk of faith and not collapse like a house of cards when things go south. Yeah, that's true. However, I want to give you permission, folks, to pour out your heart to God sometimes. When Eric Burton was here, there was people up on this floor all over the place, pouring out their hearts to God. You know, I think that something in our church shifted on that Sunday when we poured out our hearts to God and we grabbed a hold of the horns of the altar, if you know that reference. We grab a hold of the horns of the altar and we will not let go. 
There's merit in that. There's merit in that. So let me give you the, the lyrics to the song that's pretty interesting um, and, and causes us to contemplate this truth that I'm presenting this morning. It's, it's, this is not the whole song, but just some excerpts out of it. God loves the drunkard's cry, the soldier's plea to not let him die, better than a hallelujah sometimes. The tears of shame for what's been done, the silence when the words won't come, are better than a hallelujah sometimes. We pour out our miseries, God just hears a melody. Beautiful the mess we are, the honest cries of breaking hearts are better than a hallelujah sometimes. Makes you think, doesn't it? See, folks, listen, if we're taking our cues from the Bible, I don't always base my theology on songs, okay? Because there's a lot of songs out there with bad theology. But I think this hits a chord that we can look in the Bible and see that there were people that did this. See, if we're taking our cues from the Bible, then we have to acknowledge that there were people in the Bible who did this, and God commended them for it, okay? So with the examples from the Bible that I'm about to give you, um, these were people who did cry out in their times of distress, and they were commended for their faith. Because these were people who were just in God's face all the time with their requests. The first example is that of David, whose laments fill the book of Psalms as he poured out his heart to God in times of distress and frustration. In fact, his cries of distress and frustration were literally canonized as part of the word of God. I think that's interesting. And then there was a woman by the name of Hannah who went after God relentlessly to open her womb and she would not turn loose of that request. Hallelujah. And God responded. And what about the woman with the issue of blood? That little, sick, frail woman would not be denied and literally fought through a crowd just to be able to grab the hem of Jesus' garment. See, these were people who were relentless because they had enough faith in God's goodness to know that God would not turn them away if they just stayed in his face. And yes, even us faith people have to acknowledge that there is this side of God, that he'll sometimes, listen, he will sometimes put our perseverance to the test. But I'm telling you, there's something about getting on your face before God day after day and not giving up until you see that thing come to pass that God honors. And again, I know that maybe there's one or two or more faith preachers, I don't know, who would say that that kind of praying is not praying in faith, but I'm telling you that praying like this is a form of faith. I want to submit that to you, that praying like this is a form of faith because the kinds of prayers that Hannah prayed, as an example, were based upon the fact, folks, that she knew that God is good. 
And he doesn't turn away those who seek him with all of their hearts. Hallelujah. Well, as for Jacob, again, our master text uh, in verse 26 says this, Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And verse 27, the man or the angel asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with man and have overcome Folks, some might think that Jacob's audacity to wrestle with God like that and demand something of him, to resist him, if you will, to get in his face and say almost defiantly, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Some people may think that that's maybe too bold, uh, even disrespectful perhaps. But I want you to notice that God didn't put Jacob in his place or reprimand him for doing that. As a matter of fact, he rewarded his feisty persistence by not only answering his prayers where his confrontation with Esau was concerned, but God also responded by giving Jacob a new name, a new identity was what he was doing. As one who, quote, wrestled with God and prevailed. You know, that name Israel literally means God strives. By implication and by the connotation of it, it means striving with God or he who wrestles with God. That's the connotation of that name Israel. So I just believe that God likes shameless audacity. (laughs) You know, Uh, Like that little girl standing in front of that huge bull that outweighs her probably a thousand times. Now, I don't think God wants his children to be beggars before him. I believe he, he likes us to stand before him with that kind of confidence that you see on the screen right there. With shameless audacity. Now, again, do we need to be respectful to God? Absolutely. But there's a part of our relationship with him where he just wants us to put him in remembrance of his promises and stand before him with shameless audacity. And one definition of audacity, by the way, is a willingness to take bold risks. A willingness to take bold risks. And I think God likes that. He likes us to be willing to take bold risks sometimes. Because what does that represent? It represents faith. Taking bold risks, when you know God's promised you something, and you just will not let go until you see that thing come to pass, that's a sign and a form of faith. Let me give you some biblical evidence of that. In Hebrews 4.16, it says this, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, in Luke 12, uh, I'm sorry, Luke 11, verse 8, uh, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, I say to you, though he will not rise and 
give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as much as, as many of it as he needs. Now, let me give you the backdrop on what that, if you read the, that, that whole parable in Luke 11, Jesus is talking about someone who goes to a friend at midnight and says, hey, uh, I've got some guests from out of town who have come to my home and I have no food to set before them, no bread to set before them. Can you help me out? And at first the friend says, look, I've got my kids in my bed with me. The lights are out. We're already in bed as a family. Go away and come back at another time. And he just keeps persisting and he, he will not go away because he's, he's, he knows that, look, this person is my friend. I, I, I thought we were friends here. Can't you help me out? All right, so that's where he says, I say to you, though he will not rise, the person that's being interrupted out of his night's sleep, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. His persistence. Now, by the way, I just read to you out of the New King James Version. I want to read to you what the NIV, how it words it, because I think that word persistence, it replaces that with something that I think nails it here. And it says this, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of, of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Shameless audacity. Exactly. Exactly. So that's where that term that I, I labeled that particular slide came from, shameless audacity. I believe God likes that because it represents faith. All right? But sometimes, folks, listen, there's a price to pay sometimes for that shameless audacity with God. Because when someone has brushed up against God's awesome presence, they may walk with a spiritual limp, so to speak, because they're forever changed by that struggle. They are forever changed by that struggle. They have scars, if you will, from those all-night shouting matches with God. But in the end, they have prevailed. And again, I want to refer back to uh, Pam's teaching and her testimony from several weeks ago. If you've not heard that, please go pull that up and listen to that. Because her testimony is a perfect example of what I'm talking about this morning. They have scars, if you will, from those all-night shouting matches with God. But in the end, Pam prevailed. In the end, they have prevailed. They have arm-wrestled with God, if you will, in a silence. They've grabbed on to God and refused to let go. They've cried a river of tears, but they've still kept the stance. They're still standing. And I'm afraid, folks, that many of us mistakenly believe that God wants timid, polite followers who try to walk on eggshells around him. Trying to keep our voices down, acting prim and proper. Yet we must keep our fears, doubts, disappointments, and frustrations to ourselves. We think wrestling with God might be a sign of spiritual weakness or immaturity or lack of faith. But what if, let me submit this question to you, what if what it means to walk in faith 
is this very thing right here, at least part of it. What if this is part of what it means to walk in faith, knowing that we have a God who is the embodiment of goodness, but who will stretch us once in a while? Can I say that again? What if this is what it means or part of what it means to walk in faith, to wrestle these things out with God? Knowing that we have a God who is the embodiment of goodness and we just put his goodness to the test. Yeah. But also acknowledging that he will stretch us once in a while. I want to tell you a story about a, a man that I met in my travels. I meet all kinds of, of interesting people and strange ones sometimes, too, in my travels. And I met a man in a client's office one time. He was there as a patient. And, and uh, the doctor, who was also a believer, introduced me to this man because he had an amazing story. And we just began conversing, and he told me about a, a young son of his that got hit by a car and killed and uh, was raised from the dead. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I didn't know this guy. And, you know, sometimes you meet people and sometimes they just like to brag about how spiritual they are to impress you. And I've met a lot of people like that. So my first response was, ah, I don't know about this story, especially when you hear the details of it that I'm about to give you in a moment. My first reaction was, ah, I don't know what to do with that. I've never met this guy. I don't know anything about him, if this is a legit story or not. But then he told me that that same son who at seven or eight years of age, uh, who was raised from the dead, later in his life, when he was in his late 20s, I believe it was, he and his brother were taking an expedition to Alaska, and they were flying over a, um, a ravine area, and that single-engine plane crashed, and they were both killed. And the father couldn't get to them and, and pray over them. And so it was, it was days uh, before anybody even knew that they had disappeared, and there was, the, there was a search expedition that wasn't able to find them. So that father, by his own expense and his own time, went out to Alaska to try to find that crash site and did find his son so that he could bring them back for a proper burial. That would have been a grisly sight for a father to see. So when he, when he told me that, I knew, okay, this guy's not trying to impress me with his spiritual prowess because... He's acknowledging this horrible thing, this failure, if you will, that happened late in life. But, but I want to tell you this story about the, the son, the young son that was raised from the dead. Because this represents that shameless audacity before God. So they lived on this country road. And the, the young son had somehow gotten out in the middle of the road. He was about seven or eight years old. And he got hit by a pickup truck going at a fairly high rate of speed. And the father rushed out, and he said his body, if you can forgive the graphic nature of this description, his body was like a sack of potatoes because it was just flesh and broken bones everywhere. There was just no form to it anymore. And he scooped up that formless, lifeless body into the back of his own pickup truck 
to, to rush him to the to hospital. But before he did that, he began screaming at God. He said, no, God, this young man has a call in his life. You promised me he has a call in his life. You're going to heal him. He's going to live and not die and declare the works of the Lord and, and have no lasting effects from this accident. And he just began declaring over this stuff and, and, and speaking in tongues over him and just was just in God's face with that shameless audacity. And he would not let that son die without a fight. And he scooped his body in a blanket into the back of his truck and began to drive him to the hospital. And he had the, 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 the little door area behind the, the, the little, um, is it a cockpit? What do you call it in a pickup truck? Anyway, the, the cab. Thank you. I'm thinking airplanes, Mark. And, and he said as he was driving, um, he heard these popping sounds. Pop, 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 pop. And his bones were coming back together. And he said, then his, and then his boy began to, uh, uh, began to whimper like that. He was alive. There was a pulse. And, um, and then as those bones began to pop, he would cry. He says, Daddy, it hurts. As those bones were coming back together. But he was alive. And by the time he got to the hospital, all his bones were intact. And several months later, I mean, he was completely normal, folks. Several months later, the, uh, the, the driver of that pickup truck who'd hit that little boy, this was four or five months later, came and visited that man. He knocked on his front door, and, and, and you could just tell his countenance was fallen. He said, sir, I just wanted to come and tell you how sorry I am that this happened. I'm so sorry. And he said, oh, you hadn't heard. Look out in the backyard. That's the son that you hit. He's alive and well and doing just fine. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, again, I have to admit, that's a wild story. And I, I didn't know what to do with that at first. But the thing that really did it for me was acknowledging that, you know, years and years later, um, his, his sons did you know, die in a, in a plane crash that he couldn't get to and pray over him. So by the time he found them, I mean, it was, they'd been dead a week or so. So that's, that's a horrible outcome. But, you know, that shameless audacity is why I wanted to tell that story to you. Because that father would not allow that son to die without a fight. He fought God over that. And the rest is history. His, his son came back to life and, and lived many, many, many more years. He got to enjoy seeing him grow up and uh, enjoying a, a good relationship with him for many, many more years. That's what I'm talking about. That kind of shameless audacity where you just, have you seen that movie? What, I think the name of the movie is is it Breakthrough, where the, uh, the story about the, the teenage boy that fell through the ice and died? Have you seen that movie? If you've not seen that movie, go watch that. You can pull it up on, on, on uh, Amazon Prime or Netflix, I think, has it. Uh, if you have any of those movie services, go look up that movie Breakthrough. That's what she did. He fell through the ice and died. He's laying in the hospital, and he, he's expired, and she's wrestling with God, screaming at God about, no, this, this is not going to happen. You're, and... In the days that followed, as he's, he came back to life then, but he's still in a really precarious situation, and it, they, they don't know if he's going to make it, and if he does, he may have brain damage because he'd been dead so long. 
And, and she's wrestling with God over this. And she will not take any negative words. She will not hear any negative words. She drives people out of the hospital waiting room. She says, if you're going to talk like that, you're not going to stay here and I'm leaving. I mean, she's really brash about it. But she was fighting a good fight of faith. So that's an example of that shameless audacity. Amen. So then, folks, listen. I don't believe that God wants timid little teddy bears as followers. But people that approach him with confidence. I don't believe that God wants little teddy bears that are afraid to approach him in confidence. As a matter of fact, that passage that we just read out of uh, uh, Luke 11, New King James is persistence, and NIV is shameless audacity. Well, that word there is uh, anadia, and it means shameless persistence without embarrassment. That's what that word means. Now, I want to read you what Strong's Concordance says about that. Listen to this. That word, anadia, which is, again, shameless audacity or persistence, it is the shamelessness of a faith-led believer who is not halted by human fears, even when others cry, overdone. In other words, accusing them of being extreme or excessive. All right, listen, folks. When you pursue God like that, with shameless audacity. There's going to be some people within the church even who will think that you're just a little bit odd. Who you think that you take this thing way too far. But that kind of confidence before God is what I believe God likes. For example, my daughter Hannah, she and I have a, a great relationship and she has so much confidence in her standing as our daughter that uh, when she comes over to our house she will often open the refrigerator and help herself to whatever's in there and doesn't even ask most of the time and and that's okay because uh, you know she knows that as an heir or an heiress um, everything I have she has access to See, I wouldn't like it if Hannah came to me sheepishly and timidly and asked if she could have a soda or something. As if I was some sort of ogre or something. I wouldn't like that. No. I like it that she has some confidence before me. She has confidence in my love for her. She knows that she can have pretty much whatever she wants when she comes over to our house. And sometimes, you know, I've looked in the freezer um, looking for some ice cream that we had bought that I was looking forward to eating and finding that it was gone. <laughs> and then I, re I remember, oh yeah, Hannah's been here. <laughs> yeah. But that's okay, really. You know, I bought that ice cream with my money, but as my daughter, the stuff in the fridge is available to her too. Right? And she knows that. And I believe that this is what God is like, actually. He likes shameless audacity. Now, let me give you another example. Uh, we pay Drew to do certain chores around the house, and we keep him busy. We work him pretty hard sometimes. So we pay him to do certain chores around the house. Now, those of you parents that don't pay your kids to work around the house, now, now you're probably getting some elbows right now. 
I just feel like, now there are certain things that Drew does with, without being paid. There's a certain set of chores he does without being paid because we just want him to contribute to the, the household. But there's other things that we have him do that I want him to learn the value of making money and saving, spending, and the value of a dollar and what it takes to, to make money. So there's certain chores around our house that, that um, you know, we pay him to do. Like yesterday, as an example, um, I paid him to clean out our gutters. Now, that's a big job. Okay, so he did that. We, we paid him some money. But anyway, so we paid Drew to do certain chores around the house. And there was a, a span of time just very recently that we'd gone three weeks without paying Drew anything. And he was not shy in letting us know. And, and, and again, that's okay. He wasn't rude about it, but he was just politely letting us know, hey, listen, you told me you'd pay me, and it's been three weeks, and I haven't been paid. And again, I'm okay that he approaches me like that. I don't want him being rude, of course, but it's okay with me that he is bold and persistent in reminding me of what I promised to him. Are you following me? It's okay that we remind God of what he's promised to us. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah 43, 26, it says, Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. Sometimes we need to just put God in remembrance of his promises and say, God, this is what you promised me. Here's what your word says. Or here's what was spoken over me by a prophet of God. And I, I place my faith upon this, Lord. And Prove your case, or argue your case with him, and be proved right based upon what God says, because God says that he's not a man that he should lie. That's what the Bible says. So put him in remembrance of those promises. Hallelujah. I want to come down home stretch by saying that sometimes, folks, we just need to take the lid off of how we perceive God. Just take the lid off of it. Listen, God cannot be contained in our little bitty boxes of what we think he's like. Because we see as if through a darkened glass, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13. And our understanding of him is so limited. Even with what we have here with the Bible... And this gives us a really wonderful representation of who God is. However, even with the Bible, God's limitless. And even with the Bible, we like to put God in this little bitty box of our own understanding, of our own perception of what we think we see in the Bible, and put God in this little bitty box, put a lid on that box, and put him on the shelf where he can only be accessed when we let him out. Are you, is that making sense? But God is limitless. He cannot be contained. This is why King Solomon once said in 2 Chronicles 2.6, But who is able to build a temple for him since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him? Who then am I to build a temple for him except as a place to burn sacrifices before him? So folks, again, God cannot be contained. So I feel like, personally, that God wants feisty, radical, and bold followers who aren't afraid to wrestle with him and wrestle out loud with our faith. And yes, even our doubts sometimes.
See, I think that we often prefer a quaint, polite faith that, that keeps the wild and unpredictable God at a distance. Uh, we put them in a box, like I said, and put a lid on that box and keep it on a shelf at our disposal. But it, it turns into what I call a, a sterilized and safe Christianity. But we're missing out on the true adventure of a faith-stretching obedience that calls us out into the night to wrestle our doubts and fears down to the ground and encounter God out under the stars. Have you ever done that? Just gone out under the stars and just wrestled with God? I have a few times. As a matter of fact, some of the very seats that you're sitting on are wet with my tears. Have you ever done that? Just went after God and, and told God, God, there's way, way more of this that I know that I can experience. There's way more of you that I want that I've not yet experienced, and I have to get there. I'm not content to stay where I am. I'm not content for my family. I'm not content for this church to stay where I am. And sometimes when those emotions, uh, when those feelings get so strong, sometimes they come gushing out in prayers that have a good degree of volume to them, if I could say it that way, with tears flowing, maybe even fists clenched as you grab. I've been on this altar before and treated, I've been... You all are not, we're not here. Times where I've been on this floor right here on this altar, grabbing the posts of this podium as if they were the horns of the altar, crying out to God. For my family, for my church, for this nation, and for you. So in my life and in my ministering, I want to be one who leads and walks with a limp, so to speak, like Jacob. A person within a, a community like this one who would rather not just go through the motions of spirituality, but who is hungry and thirsty just to be in God's awesome presence and to encounter a, the true and living God Rather than just to be comfortable in our own self-made, boxed-up world where Jesus' presence is kept safely at a distance. I don't want that. I don't want a stale Christianity. So what do we do with a teaching like this then? What application points can we make? What applications can we make after we leave this building? Well, I want to challenge you as we come down home stretch here, and I promise I'm almost done here in just a couple of minutes, and then we're going to pray together. I want to challenge you to pay a, a more attention to how you spend your time, first of all. If the flicker of the TV screen holds more attraction to you than maybe spending a little bit more time praying, a little bit more time worshiping, a little bit more time ministering to a needy friend, well... Maybe there's some lukewarmness in your heart that God wants to deal with. If the chatter on Facebook holds more attention than being in God's word, 
Maybe your fire is dying out. Listen, folks, listen. Don't wait for a calamity to come into your life to drive you to your knees. Stir yourself up in your most holy faith right now. Right now. And if something you've been praying for seems delayed somehow, well, maybe God is calling you out, out of the kiddie pool, into the deeper waters where the tempest is strong. Maybe you need to turn off the TV and be alone with him and wrestle that thing out. And maybe we as a church need to be more diligent in seeking God in corporate prayer like we talked about last week. And yes, those opportunities are coming in the coming weeks. But again, you don't have to wait for me to spearhead something like that. You can get together amongst yourselves and call a faith friend and get together just two or three of you. And that makes a difference. So we, maybe we need to be spending more time in corporate prayer and not being satisfied just to come and do our usual Sunday morning thing, but rather finding out what God might do when we get together and wrestle with him in prayer together. And when we seek God like that, then we will experience him on a whole new level. I just want us to spend a little bit of time in prayer together. Hallelujah. What we're going to do, um, I just felt like God inspired me to, to, to do this. There may be some of you here this morning that, you know, you're listening to this message and maybe, uh, maybe a little fire was lit under you. And maybe that needed to happen. Uh, maybe you were, you were challenged that like, wow, I've been on cruise control for quite a long time now. I don't want to be on cruise control anymore. I don't want to just go through the motions of my spiritual life. Maybe you want to go deeper. And if that's the case of, we've got a couple of couples here that are happy to pray with you, not only for that reason, you just want somebody to agree with you that, man, I don't want, I want to be a stale, lukewarm Christian. I want to take this thing deeper. And I want to agree with somebody to help me today to get on a path of passion. But I don't want to limit it to that because I know that some of you may be listening this morning that you have been wrestling with God with certain things. You have been wrestling with God over your children, or your finances, or your health, or, or a character issue, whatever the case may be. And you would just love somebody to agree with you in prayer. And just join our faith to yours. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.